Real people, real opinions, real talk radio. The multi-award-winning Niall Boylan Show. Classic Hits. My good friend Tina Gates, for many, many years, author, commentator, radio broadcaster, TV personality, a little bit of everything, joins me on the air. Good afternoon to you, Tina. Hello, how are you? I sound a little bit like... um... Diffy Duck or Daffy Duck. <laughs> <laughs> now, firstly, Tina, you, you've tested positive for COVID-19. Yeah. So how absolutely. are you feeling, firstly? Um, I, well, if, if it stays the way that it is now, I, it's manageable. I'm, I'm day two now, and it feels like um, a really bad um, sinus infection. So I've got a really stuffed nose and a kind of bar of pain across my, my, my oh, eyes. Oh, I hate that like, pain when you get it across yeah. your eyes. Oh, yeah, I know. <laughs> I get so sinuses all the time. Yeah, it's not down onto my chest or anything at the moment. So good. You Hopefully, know, it stays I can, I can like cope that. With this. Yeah, exactly. yeah. Okay. Okay. But your biggest problem, and we've spoken to you many times, and I follow you, by the way, and I follow your life. I know that. that by the way, not in a stalkerish type <laughs> way. Can I just point out uh, on uh, both Facebook and Twitter and everything else? And of course, for people who don't remember, you've been on the show a few times. You look after your dad. He's ninety-six years of age. You've yeah. practically put your career on hold for him um, over the last number of years. And a wonderful man, ninety-six years of age. I, I'm looking online here. You made a little run from around the house so he can get around the house <laughs> in his wheelchair, which is wonderful. But your problem is you have COVID nineteen. He's yeah. ninety-six, the most vulnerable category. Um, even though he's been boosted already, and you can't get a booster. Yeah. Well. Um, it's too late now, unfortunately. Actually, the, uh, Daddy got his booster shot on October the 26th, and, I'm, and that's brilliant. And I'm, I'm, you know, obviously delighted that that happened so promptly. Um, but from that point on, I was trying to get a booster to match it, mm. and uh, I finally got the appointment for tomorrow. Which is a bit late <laughs> now because you now have COVID and you can't get it. Oops. Yeah, but I'm I'm looking at a picture of you here. You might as well be going in to see your dad in a hazmat suit because you put oh, a look. you put a picture. Of, you have your mask on. You have your visor on you. You have everything and your gloves because, of course, you, you don't want to give it to him. No, I know it's terrifying. And 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 you see, the thing is, it goes like this. I can't believe that two years on, like practically two years on, I'm still talking about prioritizing vaccines for carers because this has been going on since the very first vaccine. I remember this, this conversation Um, we had. Yeah, yeah, I mean, carers all around the country were saying that we needed to be um, vaccinated at the same time as as the people that we were caring for. And it's gone the whole way through the first vaccine, the second vaccine, and now two years on, looking for the booster, the same thing. We're not being treated as a unit. And and that's really the, the point that has me hammeringly mad is that we're not being treated as a unit, and we should be. Carers and the people that they're looking after, they should be treated as one unit, because that's what we are. And so I, I'm looking here, you posted, you posted up, yeah. so Stephen Donnelly and Leo Varadka and co. I'm hmm. about to lift my dad, 96, onto the toilet, and I have COVID, just wondering how that self-isolation technique is going to work now. And <laughs> Because there's no possibility of you isolating from your father, because no, you can't. Carers. Carers can't isolate. We can't isolate. And, you know, I, I totally appreciate that it, it's not about the fact either, you know, it's not all about the transmission factor. It's about how sick am I likely to get. It's very scary for me that I've got about 10 days ahead of me where I could be like I am now, which means I'm tired and it's really, you know, knackering, and, but, but I'm coping. But what if I get more seriously ill? I've, I have no HSE carers because... 
uh, my our wonderful carers actually contracted COVID first, and um, mm-hmm. the, uh, the the HSC allocated company um, is now without a carer to send into us. Um, they because they're so stretched, they have nobody to replace the ones that are sick. So for the next five days, my roster is is from the HSC is red. In other words, it's empty. We don't have a single carer coming in. So all of the double assist work where you normally have two HSC carers um, helping me lift that up out of bed and back into bed, they're all gone. So I'm here wheezing and trying to breathe through my stuffed nose with my, my headache and my fatigue and my muscle aches. And I'm trying to lift him in and out of bed. And can I just say, by own. the way, you have your stuffed nose and, and people know how bad that feels at the best of time, how difficult it could be to breathe. But on top of that, now you have a mask and a visor on you, which is probably not helping you feel any better either. And it's not helping him because it's upsetting to him because he can't hear my voice properly and he has dementia. So any change to his routine. But like the thing By the is, way, does your dad understand when he sees you with the mask on and the visor on you and looking like a health, looking like something out of ICU coming into him? Do, does he does he understand what's going on in the world? I know you said he, he has a, Alzheimer's or dementia, so say. Does he understand what's going on? Not always. I mean, okay. I, I'm telling him that I have a bad cold and that I don't want to give it to him. And uh, he, he he understood this morning. He didn't understand last night. He didn't recognize who I was. And, like, my my annoyance is the fact that the government has... It's not given me the best fighting chance to look after that. You know, no, I, I think it's a scandal that carers aren't being prioritized for vaccination. And they're not being prioritized for anything. Like, it's we should be treated as a unit when it comes to... Of course. You know, there's no, there's no reason why you shouldn't. To transport, to financial supports, to health supports, to vaccines, to everything else. We are at one with the people that we're looking after. It's not that we're looking for, you know, special priorities that we think were wonderful or, you know, I'm, I've got wings that flap out of my back and I think that means that I deserve something extra. It's not. I just want the best fighting chance to look after my dad. And I heard then on the news last night that they've changed now the... Um, to three months. Allocation. Yeah, from five to three. So, like, overnight they could do that. And yet, as a carer, I wasn't... I mean, I, I, and you pointed it, out, you, you had pointed out too on social media that the government were so busy flapping around, you know, bringing in restrictions for hospitality and everything else and worrying about all that, that, they, that people like yourselves were kind of like the forgotten, this more important issue, which was getting your booster or bringing the boosters forward for people particularly who needed them like you, uh, was completely forgotten about and it was kind of like almost a last thought. And you know, it's, it's not good enough two years on. You could have made some excuse at the beginning when this pandemic was new and frightening and you know, when a government was, was rushing um, to try and deal with a scenario that nobody had ever faced before. But we're two years in, and this is the same issue now that we're still dealing with. And it's it's just the feeling that, that carers are being abandoned and they're not being respected. And there's no apparent understanding from government and from the health services to what... No, not the individuals. And I've got to stress that, you know, sometimes it's very easy... You know, when you've got a beef and you're annoyed about something, it's very easy to sort of make a grand blanket statement. The individuals are amazing, and the individuals working in the health service are amazing. And there have been individual politicians over the last two years who have been amazing for me and for that. But it's it's when, you know, you feel as if the entire system is just not listening to you. Mm-hmm. 
No, I get it. I get it. And I think everybody in your situation gets exactly what you're saying. I mean, something like the the suggestion that when your dad went for his booster some time ago now, that automatically, because he's 96 years of age, and okay, the booster may prevent, if indeed he caught COVID, may prevent him being seriously ill. But from what we're seeing, you know, he can still get infected. He can still get quite ill as well, possibly too. And we've seen that too. And you don't want to do that to him, obviously, because you cared for him for so long and you love him so much. I mean, that's the last thing you want. So I mean, I mean if, he, if he tests positive, you know, if I give him, you know, if he starts getting um, cold symptoms and I give him an antigen test over the next few days and he's got COVID, I mean, I just got it, you know, it's going to be, well. I know, I no, don't, don't know let's, let's, do, not even, yeah. let's not even think about that. Don't get that into Hopefully your mind, Tina. Yeah. Tina, look, I hope things improve. By the way, you have the house looking lovely and the, the <laughs> Christmas tree. Uh, to, to all the caring, <laughs> making the runs for your dad, looking after him, going through COVID, <laughs> and you still managed to get that Christmas tree up. <laughs> and it looks wonderful. And by the way, I have to say, you brought a tear to my eye when you sang to your father and you were singing Christmas oh. carols to him. Do you mind if I play a little bit of it there? Oh, no. But I, I mean, he's singing along. Hold on again. He was singing along. Sing over the plains and the mountains in reply. Echoing. Oh, bless him. He's trying so hard to sing along with you. I know. He's just. Do you know like what? That, that would just bring it to... Look, by the way, Stephen Donnelly, Leo Franco, if you're listening, listen to that. This is what carers in Ireland do for their elderly parents and they put their lives on hold and all she wants, all Tina wants and everybody else that I'm probably going to talk today is just a little bit of support. Yeah, thank you. Thanks Tina, so listen, it's been wonderful to talk to you. Have a wonderful Christmas. You and your dad, Tina, I hope you get better soon and I hope everything works out for you. All right, you're a wonderful thank person. Thank you so much. Thank you very much indeed. And happy Christmas, everyone. Okay, see so yeah, There you go. Tina Gates, author, broadcaster, radio broadcaster, TV personality, and a little bit of everything. And uh, as I said, she already put her life on hold to look after her dad. All she wants is a little bit of help. And of course, part of that help as well is getting respite as well. And I know there are so many people out there struggling to care for elderly people or those, not just elderly, I suppose those are maybe younger people too, have uh, special needs as well, looking for respite as well. They just can't get it because of COVID. Sinead Tighe joins me on the line. She's a family carer for her 14-year-old son, Daniel. Uh, Good afternoon to you, Sinead. Hi, Niall. How are you? You've been listening to Tina. You know, it's basic stuff, you know, this. I mean, we're two years in now. It's not, as she said, like the start where we didn't know what the next day was going to bring us. We should have a plan now, really, shouldn't we? Yeah, we should have always had a plan. And I know COVID has been very hard within respite. And I understand the issues with the respite centres and residential, um, you know, settings as well. But I don't think what they don't realise is that respite has been so bad pre-COVID and I don't believe that it's going to be any better post-COVID. Mm-hmm. That they're still talking about they have to try and, you know, get beds into places, get more respite centres, residential places. So nothing is there at the minute. There's no way that they can give the people what they guarantee us, max capacity for us. You know, that there is some parents that, you know, when you have a certain amount of days, we're not going to get them. Yeah. So we have never got them and we're not going to get them unless things are put in place to help us. And what do you what what should you be getting every year? And tell us a little bit firstly about your 14-year-old son Daniel who has severe physical and intellectual disabilities. Um he sounds like a wonderful child from what you've been telling my producers. <laughs> uh but you know obviously that comes with its own challenges. So so tell us what you've been getting so far and and those challenges that that you come across as particularly during yeah. covid I suppose. 
Um, Dan, Dan, as you know, is 14. He'd be 15 in March. Um, he has a condition called Soto syndrome. And what that initially causes is overgrowth. And it has varying different levels of disability within it. So it's unique to each child. So with okay. Dan himself, he has this severe form. And he was the 65th child in the world with a severe form of it. Okay. And what that meant for him then is that he was going to have a lot of difficulties then. So he has visual impairment. He's inconstant, nonverbal sensory processing disorder, he's aspiration of fluids, he's difficulties of feeding, um, he's very challenging behaviour. He has he has some mobility, but it is regressing, obviously, with size now, and he's growing rapidly. Which uh, makes size. it more difficult for you, of oh, course, caring yeah. for him, of course. Yeah, so. like, you know, I'm five foot four now, Daniel's heading for six foot. Oh, my. He's a yeah. huge, he's a huge boy. He wouldn't know his own strength, and with the challenging behaviour, it's so, so difficult, you know. The physical... how, how is that, by the way, because I need to ask you, how are you? Because th- this is what we seem to forget when we talk about people like Daniel. And yes, he has very challenging behaviour. And yes, God love him, he's in a very difficult situation trying to do things for himself or trying to do anything for himself, which he probably can't do an awful lot for himself. Yeah. Um, but how are you? Because we forget about people like you. I mean, it was easy enough. When I say it was easy enough, it's never easy to give 24-hour care. But when he was younger, you could lift him in and out of a bed, lift him in and out of a bathtub, yeah. all yeah. those things. But he's yeah. six foot now. He's bigger than you. Yeah, so we re- we got our house adapted in 2019. So that means he's downstairs now. So obviously I'm a very real parent person, as in I focus on the future and make the changes as time as the time comes. So we will have a heist in place now, and that's there now, obviously, for future as well. So mm-hmm. it's always future-proof in our life for Daniel. Yeah. Um, for myself... Um, Physically, I'm worn down. In physically and mentally, I'm worn down. But I find the physical side of it now getting a lot harder. Where I have probably a lot more anxiety is of how he's going to react in situations with me. And um, yeah. I'm always trying to think outside the box. What am I going to do next? Right? How will I do this? How will I position that? But then I can't. And do, do you have do you have a fear that's yeah, at some point because you're getting older, of course, uh, yeah. and he's getting bigger. Do you have a fear that you know you won't? It'll be di- more difficult that you won't be able to do some of the stuff that you you, oh, you need oh, to do. I know it. I know it will be. I know, and it is getting so difficult. Sometimes I don't know the days that I do go through the really bad days and how I got through them. So I know it's going to be so diff so difficult, and mm. just. I take each day as it comes. I call them my groundhog days because it is the same day and it brings different challenges. What to time does day. your day start at? It can start any time from half one, so we can wake from half one. You may, like today, you woke at four o'clock. Four o'clock. So is that a good day? Know. Four o'clock. Yeah, four o'clock is a good day. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that's a good day. So, you so how many hours sleep. are you awake? When do you get to sleep, Sinead? Well, like I should obviously, yeah, you should obviously go to bed, you know, when near enough when he goes to bed. But it is that only little time that I might get downtime to have with my daughter or sit and talk to my husband mm-hmm. or maybe go out for a run because I do that from my mental To get health your head or, cleared, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it, that, you kind of say, well, that's my only time to do anything or maybe just to watch a program on telly in peace. Yeah, and by the way, I don't want I don't want to give the impression somehow that children with physical disabilities or intellectual disabilities are some sort of infringement on your life because of course as no. a carer and as a mother you want to do this because you love Daniel. Oh look, they're not yeah. they're no way an infringement. He's my child, he's my son, he's not an infringement, you know. This is just the way the world is built. Absolutely, you know, Dan, yeah. Dan 
you know, we if we're in Dan's world and then we go along with Dan and his world, everything is fabulous. But fa- sadly, that's <laughs> not the way on the outside. You know, they don't build the world for Dan. And yeah. that's the fight that we have is trying to get people in the community to understand Dan, you know, work, you know, with hospitals, you know, getting them to understand how the care approach to them, how it's ever challenging, but trying to work with everyone the whole time and trying to educate people all the time about Dan's world is one of the huge challenges. Well, I can tell you what, you you deserve an award, Sinead, because I'm looking at your life and sometimes we all look at our own lives and we kind of think, oh my God, I have it difficult. You have it very difficult. And I I absolutely understand, you know, why why a lot of people feel that way. But but in in saying that, what time out do you, well, did the state give you? I mean, as regards respite, what did you get? Did you get two weeks a year or what, what did they actually give you? We would have, we would have, when Daniel was five, that was the first time I would have been, um, I kind of approached to get care, you know, to help with care. So I initially got eight hours a week where home care would come in and help me. So that hasn't changed. So Daniel's just 15 now and I still have eight hours and they won't give me any more, even though he's bigger. Okay. Um, so that's one thing that they constantly tell you there's no funding there. Um, the second thing then is we got respite and we had weekend the year we were to be given so the weekend would come would be like he'd go on a Friday afternoon and he'd come back then on a Sunday morning and, and does he enjoy yeah. that by the way does he enjoy uh, when he goes off yeah like you know it's heartbreaking for me for the first one like you know how will he cope with it <laughs> yeah. absolutely loves it and to be quite honest Niall Dan is much happier with Dan is much happier with carers he'd have no behaviour with a carer he has no behaviour when he's in school he never had any behaviour when he was in respite so He's a typical to any child. He'd, yeah. he'd be well outside. Right. And then I take out his frustrations yeah. when he gets yeah. home with the people yeah. he really cares yeah. about. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. for the mammy. For the mammy, yeah, always absolutely. the mammy. Yeah. <laughs> that, by the way, that's, that's average child behaviour, yeah. I think, that's yeah. Whoever the hard taskmaster is, so it's mammy. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So in relation to what you're getting now, has that changed? It hasn't changed, so it's not getting any I better. I haven't had any respite in three years. Oh, no. And this was pre this is pre COVID, so I've been. You must be going out of your mind. Yeah, because just for a break. I, yeah, because even when I did get rest by in that time, you were, I didn't always get the three weekends because what people don't realise is that there's only so many rest by centres and there's only so much residential care. So if there's an extreme case or if there's an emergency, there will be the beds will be blocked. So you lose your respite. So you don't end up getting your respite. What, what, what I don't understand is when I listen to Tina and I listen to yourself, you people, the, the, the carers of Ireland, are saving the state so much money because if you weren't looking after Daniel, and I'm sure you would never stop looking after Daniel, yeah. he would be in residential care and full-time yeah. residential care. And the state would yeah. have an obligation to, to look after him because that's in the Constitution. The state has an obligation to provide and look after every child and educate every child. So they yeah. would have to do it. And that would be costing 10 times as much. Exactly. So, you know, the the thing that the HSC to say to me, you know, I have to manage Daniel, doctor saying to me, Asian age, I have to manage Daniel. And I say, yeah, I'll manage Daniel, but please, will you give me the equipment or will you give me the services to do it? Or the supports to do it, yeah. Yeah, and to make me safe at home with him, you know. You know, give me that and that would be fine. But, you know, you fall into the other kind of thing, the way they have is that we're all in different areas. So you'll hear, I don't know if you hear and you probably have over time, different CHO areas. So say where's CHO7, that Tala takes in, Dublin South, Kildare, some of Wicklow. So it's huge. Yeah. So we, we as, as that group of carers and that group of parents and elderly and all looking for care on that side of it are all pulling off the one pot. But then you could go down to another area where they mightn't have as much in it. 
they're getting more than us. Yeah. And it's not anyone's fault, but you know... You're it's just the way the system works, it's yeah. It's kind of lottery, wherever you live, you're lucky, you know, yeah. and it's the same for getting equipment wherever you live, you're lucky, because what funding they have in that area, that, you know, obviously we're a bigger Obviously area, in areas where you would have a bigger population and more people who it. need carers, exactly. there's less money around, yes. Exactly, so yeah. that's against us as well, you know, and that, 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 that's the way they're in the rest by grouping as well, that's how we wouldn't get kind of good good amount of days because there's a huge pop pulling from that. Yeah, and look, and I, I have two concerns here, which is you're not getting enough support to help you with Daniel when you're at home with Daniel. But I think I think yeah. a bigger part of this as well, because you're absolutely no use to Daniel if, you know, if you end up depressed or if you end up with mental health problems because you just can't cope. So you're of no yeah. value to him then. And we need to make sure you're of value to Daniel and to look after Daniel, uh, you know, whatever time he needs to be looked after. So, and that's what concerns me more when I listen to Tina and I listen to you is your mental health. Because I don't know yeah. how you get through every single day because I've never been in that position. No, uh, but I, 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 like it's, it's so like your mental health is the most important part of it. It's the most it's the most isolating position you could be in. Obviously, COVID doubled that amount. It was so isolating. You're so on your own. You, I think you realised within COVID how much more we were on our own. Mm-hmm. And we realised with the bit of service that we got, how important that was, how important it was to have the bits that you had anyway. Because without that, you were never going to survive. But so you put con- things into perspective for everybody who's kind of moaning a little bit about, oh, I can't go to a pub or I can't go to a restaurant during I'm the restrictions. Everything, <laughs> everything's relative. I'm a type of person that everything is relative to yeah. everyone. We understand everyone's mental health is suffering in yeah. this time. I understand But it does that put it into context, doesn't it? When, I it mean, you're, you're permanently in that situation. <laughs> yeah, like, I don't... Social life isn't... A thing for me it's not anymore. a priority, no, no. No, like my husband, our relationship, uh, you know, one of us sleeps with Daniel every night, so we don't have that relationship, you know, we're not, because we haven't got that care. My daughter helps out so much, God love her. How old is your daughter now? She's 18. Okay. She's 18 in February, she's 17, but God love her when I sometimes look at her, how much time she lost with her mammy. You know, because yes, because she would have been quite young yeah. yet at the time when Daniel yeah. was born. Yeah. When I look, when I look at this beautiful woman now beside me, I kind of think, "Oh my God!" You know, you how well you've come on, and I know I'm her mother. And you know and what? Know she's I probably a wonderful well young lady now because she's because you were so busy with Daniel, and I'm not taking away from yeah, your family and the way you do it. things. But yeah. she, she had to a lot of the time. She had to be independent, quite young, I suppose. Yeah, she was. She independent. And she looked after herself so well. You know what I mean? But we did get great support. Yeah. In relation to Shauna, we yeah. had great friends who brought her away on holidays. We had family that always bring her away. But that doesn't take away your heartbreak of not being with her. Yeah. But yeah, no, I get to know, that. to know that she was happy, that's all I always throw, you know, for her as well, that she got them. But I knew. Has she, she just finished there. her leaving cert now, or is she. Yeah. She's done her, she done her leaving cert, so she's doing pre nurse, and so she wants to be a nurse. So great. she's a beautiful, caring young woman, I have to say. As oh, well. She probably gets that from her mommy. <laughs> she gets that from her mommy and I'm yeah, sure she'll so, be able to assist you then as, as life goes yeah, on and you get a bit that, older she's brilliant because Daniel lets her do like Daniel won't let me cut his nails Daniel won't let me wash his teeth and if I do that as a battle and he'll hit me and he'll box me she, mm. he let Shauna brush his teeth and let Shauna cut his nails so they're the jobs she'll do for me uh, I'll do, he let me do other jobs but yeah. the main job yeah I would do but yeah it's not without a slap and a punch or a head but from the child I guess on a constant Occasion every single day, you know. Some, you know. Oh, you're, you're an angel, Sinead. You're an angel, Sinead. You and, know, and if there so, wasn't people like you in the world, unfortunately, for people like Daniel, life would be very tough. Yeah, you know, it would be. It would be. Yeah, it would. And it's you know, 
we don't kind of tell that side of the story. I don't kind of bring Daniel out to the world and show that, you know what I mean? He's, I always show his good side, his positive, positive side, you know, but behind my door... Oh, well, look, no I'm, sure, I'm sure Daniel... And I don't understand the psychology of, you know, intellectual disabilities or don't claim to a physical disabilities. But I'm sure inside Daniel's mind and when he's looking at you through his eyes, I'm sure you know quite well that he loves you. But in a very different way, I suppose, to the way somebody who doesn't have an intellectual disability would. You've said one very, very good thing there is then look into my eyes. And that's when I ask Daniel to look into my eyes, he'll come straight to my eyes and we look into each other's eyes. And that is our bond, 100% is to our eyes. And I understand them through his eyes mm. because I know when he is frustrated, I can see the grump and the change. <laughs> and, and you know when he's feeling a little bit soft and a little bit lovely. Yeah, and I yeah. know when he's loving and I know when he's full of fun. He wants us to be, he wants me to be a clown from one end of the day to the other. He wants me to dance. <laughs> he, wants, he wants to be stimulated and you're the entertainer. Oh, yeah, I have to be the entertainer. Everyone has to be the entertainer. But if he's with me, yeah, I must entertain. There's a song and a dance for everything that we do. Right. You know, and if that's how to move him from one place to another without getting that box. <laughs> so, okay, so if you could give, just before we go to the break, so if you want to throw out a message or, you know, to the people responsible, the HSC, obviously Stephen Donnelly and other people who may get this message back or it may come through to them somehow that they heard you on the radio, what would you say to them? What are you looking for or what would make your life better? Definitely, we need more carers. We need them. I think the one thing that we're saying as carers is that everyone else, we do a job and you do say, yeah, we save the state millions and we're working so hard for our, for our families that we want 20 days respite a year. Everyone else gets 20 days holidays and we want that. And yeah. Families Carers Ireland is well advocating that for us as well. We really want that. We want to have our days. And that's and not unreasonable, sure. by the way. That's yeah, not no, unreasonable. Not. And we just want to be sure that we're going to get them. Let, let us know that we're actually going to get them. Don't say, I'll give you that many days, but throughout the year, don't say, well, you can't because it's emergency. Now, things happen, but stop kind of their barriers in front of us all the time for getting them. Yeah. So we need to be looked at as a group that are doing the state, as you say, doing the state of service. And we weren't looked at that in any way through COVID, what we did. You know, they never gave us PPE. They never looked after us. They never put us on priority carers for getting um, vaccinations. So they didn't look after us like that, but we're doing a job that they honestly do not know what we're doing. And I think if one of them could come into each and every one of our lives and see it, I think they'd really, really understand it more. Absolutely. I think at the head of the HSC or indeed Stephen Donnelly or anybody involved out there who was responsible for the spending and the budgets, etc., etc., spent a day with you. I think they would change their minds very, very quickly yeah, about what they need to do when you're right. Throw, and now let's not just throw a blanket amount of money. We're not saying that. Don't, don't throw a blanket amount of money and say, oh, there's so many for you. It's about looking at the services. It's about looking at what's wrong. You know, let's be progressive in what we have. It's not just... Look and see, well, where do we need to fix? How many centres do we have? What do we need to do? And don't just say, well, there's so many million. Leave it to you and sort it all out. Sort it out yourselves, yeah. Yeah, it's look at it properly. You know, see what the problem is. It was there before the pandemic. But please don't let it go on again for another four or five years because more children are coming onto the list of course, every and that, that, that's not going to change. By the way, you know, no, there's always going to be children to bought, yeah. are born with needs and special needs yeah. and intellectual disabilities. And yeah, everyone's getting old as well now. Yeah. So, yeah. you as uh, we all going to be looking after parents, and we are all going to be hopefully looked after ourselves by our children. 
Okay, well, look, <laughs> Sinead, yeah. I have to say it's wonderfully explained today and I think so, yeah. so many people listening today got a great insight into your life and Daniel's life and Sean and your husband. I didn't get your husband's name, by the way. Yeah, Keith. Keith, okay. Well, look, yeah. you yourself and Keith and Shauna and Daniel have a wonderful Christmas and I, and I hope Thanks, uh, you get what you, you deserve and what you need. Thanks for always thanks for always sharing um, our stories and being a great advocate as well for us with disability, with kids with disabilities because I do listen to you a lot and I see that you do do this over time and time again. So well done. Okay, thank you very much indeed, Sinead. You deserve it. Look, wonderful speaking to you. And there you go. What a wonderful, wonderful woman. My, my admiration goes to Sinead and to Tina and so many people in this situation. If you're in that situation, by the way, please send us a text or WhatsApp uh, right now at 87 8 Come on, Steve. Stephen Donnelly, I know you don't like me, but come on, Stephen Donnelly, the HSC, all the people involved, just get your heads together. Look, you know, when it came to COVID over the last 18 months, at the flick of a switch, you could get a committee together to examine that, a committee together to examine this, an interim committee together to examine that. Surely you can put some sort of professional committee together to see what carers of Ireland actually need. Because look at the money they are saving the state. If Daniel wasn't being looked after uh, by Sinead, if Tina wasn't looking after her 96-year-old dad uh, with dementia, you would be looking after them. The state would be looking after them. They'd be in residential care. That would be costing you 10 times more. And you'd have to look after them 365 days of the year, not the paltry 20, 21 days that Sinead is just looking for a little bit of a break for her own mental health. Because if her mental health declines and she's physically or mentally unable to look after Daniel, well, then you're going to have to look after him. But she doesn't want you to do that because she loves him and she wants to look after him forever. So please, please, let's all do the right thing. We'll talk to more people after the break. Sylvia, hi, you're on Ireland's Classic Kids. How are you? Sylvia, there? Oh, oh, sorry, hang on. Sorry, sorry, that was my fault, Sylvia. I do apologise. <laughs> I lost you there for a second. Sylvia, how are you? I, I know your father passed away in March, so my condolences to you and your family. Thank you. And I'm sorry to hear that. How old was that? He was 78. 78. He's still a reasonably young man. I suppose 78 nowadays. And, and how did he, what happened to him in the end or how did he find well, him? He had a lot going on. He had two blocked arteries in his neck. One was 100%, one was 80%. Uh, they wouldn't free them because they said he wouldn't survive the surgery. Right. Um, okay. Then he had end-stage kidney failure brought on by dialysis. It's always, oh, by, it's always kind of difficult, either. isn't it? When, when, when you have to decide whether surgery is necessary when somebody's yeah. kind of over the age of 75. And, uh, you know, and as a child of somebody, a mother or father, it's always difficult to make that decision or to help them with that decision because it's always well, a 50-50 chance. I think, you know? I think the, the consultant made that decision for me, oh, yeah. really. Yeah, yeah. Um, he had end-stage kidney failure brought on by diabetes and enlarged spleen and enlarged prostate and for the last seven months of his life, he had uh, bowel cancer. Right, okay. So he had a very difficult end to his life, sadly. He did, yeah. Um, okay, so, and I, I know some people would say it was a happy release, I suppose, in some ways. It was, in the end. it was, it was in the end. Yeah. But Sylvia, you looked after your dad, you cared for him. Um, for I the did. Th- yeah, I and did. you had three years with no respite. No, absolutely none, because they told me that um, first I had no home help or anything. They told me that they had no availability. Then they told me they had nobody qualified, so I go, do you think I am? Yeah. <laughs> um, I was shown how to do the dialysis, the home dialysis, with peritoneal dialysis four times a day. I was shown how to do it on a dummy. Yeah. They brought him down from a ward, and they showed me how to do it, and then um, I did it on him, and they said, oh, you picked that up very fast. You, he can go home tomorrow. 
Right, okay. So suddenly you just, um, no, no, you became a nurse and a carer. Oh, yeah. Well, um, towards the end, well, I was doing everything because I ended up with a baby at the end of the day. Right, yeah. I was changing nappies, spoon feeding, and just trying to get the aids I needed around the house was unbelievable. Yeah. And I, and I know in some sense you wouldn't change that for the world because that was the time no. you got to spend with your dad, even though it meant looking after him uh, for the last I know, three years. If I, knew, if I knew how it was going to end up, I probably would have at the start of, oh, I can't do this. Yeah, yeah. But when he couldn't manage to do the dialysis himself, I just said, show me. Yeah. And what was that time like? Considering that you had very little support, it seems like our previous callers that we talked to and, and carers around the country who were listening today who believe that they don't get the support that's needed. That that time must have been not only a wonderful time to spend with your dad, and I'm not trying to take that away from what you know what was going on there, but also a very dark time for you as well, because every day, as you know, as Sinead or Tina, I'm not too sure, pointed out, it was like Groundhog Day. It was. I mean, at, at the time, I was able to, for the first kind of two years, I was able to live in my own house. Yeah. And go up there at nine o'clock in the morning. And while I'd be cleaning up after the dialysis, He'd be getting me my breakfast. Right. And the same at lunchtime. He'd be making a cup of tea while I'd be leaning up after the lunchtime one. Yeah. I was able to do it before I went to work in the evenings. And then I'd call in on my way home, maybe watch a bit of telly, have a cup of tea. right see in the morning. Yeah. And there was a few mornings he'd ring me and go, where are you? (laughs) (laughs) Right, it says I'm on the road. I'll be on the road at all, I'll be still in bed. But he was only across the road, so it was, I, I wasn't losing At that stage, time. it was grand, yeah. But, and I then what grand. stage did it become full-time then? Um, it was really kind of the last five months of his life. I went up one Sunday morning and I found him on the floor and I said, how long have you been there? Right. And he says, the edited version of what he said was, I don't know. Right, so he couldn't remember how he got there and how yeah, long he'd been I said, there. why didn't you ring me? Now, I know I wouldn't have been able to pick them up on my own, but I have friends and neighbours that were good to me during that time, and they would have helped me, and they did help me. So I said, why didn't you ring me? Yeah. So I said, right, this now is how it is. I said, I'm coming back here, and I'm staying here at night time. Right. And I was kind and of... And how, how did he take to that? Was that okay was with him? very politely told you're not. Right. Okay. So I just said, so, and what was it? Did he just didn't want, to, even though he had so much going wrong with him at the time, he just didn't want to be an inconvenience to you? Was that it? He was in his mind. He was getting better, and he was going out to do his garden. Right. In the spring. Yeah. I mean, he used to have his garden like something you would see in a magazine. Yeah. And it went from that to just being neighbours cutting the grass for me. Right. So um, I just yeah, I said. I'm not busting that bubble now at all, even have those delusions. Yeah. So I just said, well, okay, either I come back now and stay here at night time, or you're going into a nursing home. You, It's your choice. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's the way it is now. Yeah, that's a bit of a Hobson's choice, really, isn't it? Isn't it? We're going over. <laughs> I can come back. But anyway, look, you looked after him. All you were looking for was a bit of support, a bit of help from I'm the sure, state. Because for the last five months, I had didn't have a night's sleep. I was up three and four times every single night. And did you apply? What sort of supports did you apply for? Um, well, they had no availability for home health. Mm-hmm. And then when I, towards the very, very end, the last 10 days of his life, I just rang his consultant and I said, I can't do this anymore. I don't have the physical strength. I said, his mobility is gone. 
I mean, he was five foot eight. He was over twelve stone. I couldn't lift him on my own. And so, you didn't uh, obviously because it wasn't lo- such a long time. You didn't have the facilities in the house, like a hoist no, or a lift or any of those kind no, of things. But, but you see, all of a sudden, then when they took him into palliative care, they were sending him home a hoist and lift and help and all sorts of things. Yeah, yeah. That it should have been getting all along. Because and about and about anything else, you didn't get any time off either because there was nobody. No. You couldn't get no. anybody to come out to you. No, because they hadn't. They, by the way, had no one qualified like I was. So um, he had one night in the Marymount Hospice, and the doctor there told me. She said, "Do you realise what you did at home on your own? Four people would do in a hospital." Probably. Yeah. Well, I said that's only what you know about. Yeah, there's a lot more going on there that you don't see. Yeah, absolutely. Any time he went to the bathroom, when he was able to go, I was running off to make a toddler. So just, just because, I, I, again, I have to go into break, and I'm so sorry that I'm cutting everybody a little bit short today, but if you could send a message out, and that's what I'm trying to get across today, is a message mm-hmm. out to the people who matter, I suppose, the people who make decisions. What would you say to them in the situation you were in, which is a bit different to what Sinead is doing at full-time for all of Daniel's life. Uh, Tina has been doing it for quite a long time now as well with her 96-year-old dad. You thankfully in some sense it was the shorter term it could have been a lot longer mind you uh, but it, it was could have been, well if he didn't develop the cancer he probably would have been he probably would be still here that, absolutely I, and you would have been there full time so what message would you send out to the people making the decisions well first of all I would like him to not means test the carers allowance and not have it as a taxable income have it needs tested right and I would also like Stephen Donnelly if my dad was still alive coming towards the end, to walk into my house at 9 o'clock in the morning and spend 24 hours with him and give me a day off and see what I had to put up with 24-7. Okay, that's a, a very good point. Listen, thank you very much indeed for sharing your story and I really appreciate you coming on the air today. I'm going to come to Joe after the break. Joe, give me a little bit of time here. I need to go into a quick break and I'll come to you straight after the break. Hi Joe, you're in Ireland's Classic Hits. I'm too sorry about the delay, but time is just running away with me that's today. That's how are you now? I'm good. Okay, so you're saying it's heartbreaking being a carer. You look after your own son as well, who has I special look, needs. Yes, my son has a rare disorder on top of anxiety, ADHD, and autism-like symptoms. Yeah. Yes. And it's, it's heartbreaking because most of the time you feel like your hands are tied. The service that my son needs to be there, like occupational therapy, speech and language, psychology... They are supposed to be there, but the reality of things is they're not. Yeah, or you're on they're long, or you're there. on long waiting lists for cams and all those kind of things. Yeah. Now, my son, uh, thank God, is being seen by cams because uh, with my son's rare condition, he needs medication. Yeah. But all the other things that need to be there for him to be supported and have some quality of life. And and by the way, for you to have some quality of life too, because you're entitled to quality of life as well. I know you wouldn't swap him for the world, but but of course his behaviour is challenging. But but his behaviour is very challenging. We just came out of an extreme anxiety crisis. My son is going through puberty as well, which makes his behaviour sometimes even more violent. Yes. Uh, like not long ago, I was driving and he had a sudden outburst and he grabbed my hoodie. He could have strangled me. He could have caused an accident. And he has no idea of what he's doing. No, no idea. And it's, it's, it's heartbreaking because you want to help your kids, your, your parents, whatever who you're caring with. And you can't. 
You can't because you have literally to go to these services and beg for help. You have to beg for help before they even look at you. You have to be like desperate beyond anything people can imagine for them to look at you. And even then, it's almost, it's nearly impossible. You hardly get any respite. And And how how can we improve the system whereby you don't have to go and beg for help? Because that's, nobody should have to beg for help. There should be enough services there for everybody. And I understand sometimes they can be under-resourced or understaffed. I get that. That happens all over the world. It's not just in Ireland. But how, how can we make the system better to prioritize people who need the help more than others, for example? For example, give carers, take, make carers not means tested. Because our work is 24-7. And if the services aren't there, we need to be able to pay for them. Mm-hmm. Of course, yeah. Privately. And what they pay us is not enough. I know. I was in that situation with my own daughter many years ago. She has dyspraxia. It, it, and I needed to enough. get the resource errors. I couldn't wait for the system. The system was too slow. So I ended up having to pay privately to get a psychological like, assessment example, and educational assessment. Yeah, I get speech it. and language therapy costs about 500 euro. I know. With I know. the assessment. I paid you know, 700 euro for an educational it, assessment. And, you yeah. know, how can our children be the best they can be when we are constantly being let down? Mm. We need, we need them to work harder, to not spend so much time in bureaucracy. It's so much bureaucracy that when it comes to actually providing the services, they're not doing it. And do you get any respite at all? I have a little bit, but for example... Are you, are you, by the way, are you on a carer's or a domiciliary carer's allowance? I have a domiciliary and I have carers. Oh, okay. You get both. Okay. I get both. Okay. But for example, respite, uh, it can be very little. If there's an emergency, respite will go to take kids as an emergency. Yeah. If something happens to the parents. So if there's an emergency, we all lose yeah. respite. And it can be, can this can go on for weeks where you just don't have like, nothing for Mm. yourself and when you go into an emergency situation like i've been like two months that i i was sleeping maybe two hours because my son was completely off his head um violent um he couldn't he needed like and of course he's getting he's getting bigger now joe it is i want to be able to take care of my son for as long as i possibly can but for me to do that I need a little support. We all need a little support. We want to take care of our kids. We want to be able to do that for them. But we need help. We can do that alone. Okay, well, listen, I, I, I'm running out of time. Joe, thank you very much indeed for sharing that with us today. And again, the message out there for the government is get rid of the means testing because, of course, all these things cost money, particularly if you do them privately because, of course, the public waiting lists are so bloody long. Uh, apart from anything else, you just need support. You need people to listen. You need a little bit of assistance because you want to look after your own parents or your own kids or whatever it happens to be. Uh, but unfortunately, the support is not there to help you to do that. And all in all, it's going to cost the government more money if they don't give you those supports. Anyway, thank you, Joe. Jerry, you're in Ireland's Classic Kids. How you doing, Jerry? Hi, Niall. How are you? Good. Now, you're heartbroken listening to all the kind of mothers and, and people looking after, you know, carers, etc. as well. But you cared yeah, for your own son, Louis, until mm-hmm, he was yeah. 
Yeah. And he was 21. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I got, um, he's in a residential setting now, but he comes home every weekend to me. But the years in between all of that, from the day he was born, were the, the most, the hardest, the loneliness, the most isolating years. And he was very ill when he was born. And all of that, I spent seven years in hospital with him. And I had another little boy as well, with no support. I know. And what was wrong with Louis, by the way? Louis was born down with um, a heart and lung um, congenital disease. Then he has autism and brain damage. He was in hospital um, with pneumonia and he got a temperature of 107. And his organs began to shut down and it left brain damage as well. Oh, my. Oh, my. He's had, a, he's had a very tough life. He's a warrior now. That he's still here today is an absolute miracle. So he's 25 now? He's 25. He was 25 last month. And how is he now, by the way? How is he? Um, he's thriving with yeah. um, the, the place where he is. You know, I don't know if I can say the name. Yeah, and I'm sure you, you can. Yes. Um, rehab care. Okay. And the, the care and the, he's actually so loved out there. That's you great. Know, and this is my wish for all the other mothers that I know exactly how they feel. My heart breaks for them. It's the most, there are no words to describe loving this person so, so much and, and just being up against a wall at every hand's turn and nobody to help you. I mean, I, I, and I know you would much prefer, you know, if you had kept Louis at home but had got the support he it needed to look after him. Yeah. It was my dream. I never want to be away from him and I'm still suffering loneliness because I think he's, he's constantly there in front of me and I want to be with him but I'm unable to provide him with the care that he needs. He needs a team of people. Well, he's a man now. He's a grown man now. You he know, is. and but he's and, still a baby now. Oh, I know. Well, no, I know that. I know that. Talk, yeah. You know, he's no speech. Yeah, he's so so. He's a grown man with the cognitive age of a child, as a baby. Yeah. And, and I and I get that. And so that would have been so difficult for you to continue. You should. I I know you probably beat yourself up over it all the time, but you shouldn't because you did what was best for him under the circumstances. Because you can't get the support you need at home. That, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that's so true. And if they could help people within the home and support them at home, you know, if they're mild or moderate, that's certainly a, a, a great way to go mm-hmm. to, to enable people to keep their children at home. And when, you know? when, when, he, when he was kind of 20 years of age, because you were with him until he was 21, so to speak, when yeah. he was 20 years of age, how difficult was your day? Well, in, he was 16 stone at the time, Niall. And trying to even change his nappy, he was violent towards me, you know, without knowing. And then he'd start crying because he'd know that he hurt mammy, like, you know, and it was never intentional. But he constantly ate, he'd sit in front of the fridge and I'd have to have all my ducks in a row. I'd be planning what food to have there so that he wouldn't, you know, break things or break me trying to get food. It was it certainly, I used food to try and placate him. Yes, of course, you know? yeah, because it was and, the only way at the time probably you could do yeah, that. Yeah. yeah, he was in a day service, but um, he just refused to go and he used to lie on the ground. I'll give you an example, Niall. I had a girl from um, Enable Ireland that just come for four hours on a Saturday and we took him into town and he got out of the wheelchair and he bum-shuffled onto the road in William Street and lay down, and they called the guards and the fire brigade oh. to help me get him back into the wheelchair. Oh, my. 
Oh my! That's, that's, and it's not his fault. Look, he doesn't not know any. He doesn't know what he's doing. He's but I mean, but it must be so difficult I, for you. Yeah, it, it, every every hand's turn. You, you're just. I, I, I was just. Oh my God! My own health and my mental health. And how? So and how was your? I mean, obviously, we can talk about how you feel now. And, and I know you're. You're. I mean. It's very upsetting for you knowing that you can only see him at the weekends. You'd love to have him home, et cetera, et cetera. But it's, that's just the way it has to be. It's practical for you to do that at the moment. And there's no yeah. other way out of that. But at the time, your mental health must have been through the floor. It was. It was. And I was fat because I used to eat and drink vodka. <laughs> right, okay. Just to try and get you t- through it. Yeah, yeah. And now I'm a totally different person because I, I have time for myself that I never had. I never had, he never slept. So I, 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 that's, sleep is very important for all of us. Of course. But, but you can't slept. operate if you're too tired all the time, you yeah, know what I mean? No, no, I was exhausted. I was burnt out completely, yeah. Mm. But Rehab Care offered me a lifeline. You know, they're, they're, they're amazing people out there and it would be my dearest So wish. they gave you your life back? They did. They absolutely did. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and, and by and, the way, what was the... The moment, you said that obviously he went into rehab care when he was 21, he's now 25 years of age. What was the moment when you realised, I can't do this anymore? Was there a particular day that you said, I just, I can't do this now? No, it was a culmination of years and years of sadness and heartbreak and drudgery. And like Christmas Day meant nothing to me. It was the exact It was just same another day. day. It was the same day. as every other day, yeah, of Another course. day, another day, changing nappies, cleaning, feeding, making sure. I used to have to, he used to have a McDonald's every day, and I used to have to ask the staff for a bag and a box, and I used to drive through the empty drive-through with the bag, and my husband then would be ready and have the chips and the chicken nuggets ready at home, and we'd stick them into the bag, and he'd get out of the car then. Right. You know, there was no one moment, Niall. Uh, not for me, anyway. You know. And what, and what about, and I don't want to go too much into your personal life with your husband and everything else, but I'm sure it had an impact on your relationship, too. Because completely. You, yeah. Completely. Only that we love each other so much. Mm-hmm. That we, Very, we, and that was something I meant to talk I to you believe, about it as well. Yeah, it's difficult for a family, particularly if you've got other kids, if you've got a husband or a wife or whatever. It's difficult to try and keep that normality between the family we unit. We had no normality. Yeah. We had nothing. We had nothing. It was just hard work. Like, I gave up my job to stay at home and mind Louis. So I, we, I cut our, our life financially in half. Yeah. You know, there's so many other complex issues around caring for people that are ignored by the government, you know. And, and for those people who are thinking sometimes when you put a child into residential care that you go out the door skipping, you know, jumping up and down, delighted with yourself, that's not the case at all. Yes, you do get your life back. Yes, you have some level of normality back in your life again. But of course, the love you have for your child doesn't change and you, you would much prefer to yeah. continue with yeah. what you're doing, but with support. My truth is, Niall, I cry every day. Every day I cry for him. I miss him so much. He's, he's the light of my life. He can't talk. And one day I had my arms around him and I was telling him how much I loved him. And he was looking into my face so intently and two big tears ran down his face. You know, he knows so much, like, it's it's heartbreaking. There's no end to the pain. He's either there and I'm in pain or he's with me and I'm in pain. You know, that's my story. That's my life. And... 
you were saying when you look into his eyes, I'm sure he understands and I'm sure he's happy, but he is happy, isn't he? He's very happy where he is. He's getting a great quality of life. He was out today up in Clock Jordan having a picnic and thrilled with himself. He got a Diet Coke and, you know, I got a video and a picture. And I get a, a text in the morning, I get a phone call in the afternoon and a text at night. So I know that he's okay, you know. That must be heartbreaking for you. My heart is breaking and even listening to you. Sorry, Niall. No, no, yeah, no, it's okay. I love him. I have no words to say. I love my family. I'm very family orientated, but I'm like a lioness where Louis is concerned, you know. Mm. Just You're an amazing woman, so Jerry. Precious. I am not, Niall. Every mother is just so wonderful. But and when you have somebody special, it is hard. No, you're hard. right. Every mother is so special. And I, I'm, yeah. I don't want to leave the fathers out here too, by the way. No, fathers not don't. At all. But, but in saying that, you have extra challenges. Mothers around the country and parents around the country are listening to you thinking, you know, I have a child who misbehaves every now and again. I thought I had problems. And they listen to you and the challenges that you and Sinead and Tino, we spoke to earlier on, and Joe before the break, and they listen to the challenges that you guys have. Because you're looking after somebody. In other words, you're not just looking after yourself. You've dedicated your life to somebody else. And you did that religiously for 21 years of your life. You should be so proud of yourself. And I'm sure he will, in his mind, he knows his mammy looked after him. He he knows how much he's loved. Yeah, he does. I know that. And love is the centrepiece of caring. You know, and I think the government depends on, on people because we love, we love our children. And they see that uh, that it's such a battle to to give your child over to people that I initially I didn't know, and now they're like my extended family, the staff. They they look after me as well, you know. They, they and even though your life, even though your life was at that time, it was in a really deep dark hole, and I know it probably was when he was twenty one. At that point, just before he went, would have went into residence yeah. care, you were in a very dark hole. Uh, every day was like Groundhog today. Life had just got on top of you. It was so difficult. But I still know that the day, the first day you left him in there, you probably went home and cried your eyes out. Every Saturday night or Sunday when I drop him home, or back from home to um, to rehab care, I cry. I cry leaving him, you know, because I don't want to. Mm-hmm. I don't want, I never wanted to leave him. It was never my choice, really. I no. just had, I had to get the help for him to survive and me I always thought it would be death would would, would separate us yeah you is know, that something you always worried about that if yeah. something happened to you who's going to look after him oh god that doesn't even bear thinking that's why I cycle and, and walk all the time <laughs> try and keep <laughs> yourself healthy you want to become immortal <laughs> <laughs> no yeah no I agree that, that would be so true you know yeah. well listen it's been wonderful talking to you Jerry. and you Nile. And you're an inspiration. You really are. I've been listening to all of you today. You're all an inspiration. You're all wonderful people. Amazing. I couldn't do it. I know I'm saying I couldn't do it. Maybe I could if I was landed in the position. You could have. Every every one of us could do it because it's, as I say, it's centred around love. That's mm-hmm. just the simple end of it. But now, can I leave my phone number with Ashlyn? You can. In case any of the other moms would like me to talk to them because I've been through, you know, I'm at the other side. Of course, yeah. And I'd love to advocate for them in any way that I could. Or give them advice or help in any way, shape or form. Even a phone call when they're feeling bad, I'll be there for them. 
did you have somebody that you could ring when you were feeling down? Were there moments where you kind of sat down and he, he may have been asleep and you went, oh my God, I just need someone to talk to? I go silent now. I yeah. don't reach out for anything. I just put my head down and just get it done because I felt that there was n- nobody could ever help me. Yeah. That's how bad it was at times, you know. Yeah, I know, I know. But look, Ashling will take your number there. And, uh, and if anybody is looking for any help or advice or just to, just, to, just to have a chat be, with you. It would be my privilege. Okay. Thank you, Nile. Jerry, have a wonderful Christmas. And all right. Yourself. And give my have regards to Louis when you see him at the weekend. All right. I'll give him a big hug. Does he me. listen to the radio at all? Does he? He loves music. Fleetwood Mac <laughs> and Pink Floyd. And oh, Pink Floyd. He's a man <laughs> yes. after my own heart. I love yeah, Pink Floyd. He's proud of myself. A certain vintage like yourself and we always have that on at home and he loves it. He just, he, he sits down and he rocks. Oh, right. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, well, yeah. He, well, at least he has good taste. That's all I know. <laughs> <laughs> Thank For you, sure, Jerry. Guys. Have a lovely Christmas, you and your family. All right. Have a lovely Christmas. See you. Bye, bye, bye. In regards to the carer's allowance, I think it's ridiculous that it is means tested. I am a carer for my son and daughter who are both requiring extra care. I am unable to work because of the amount of care needed. That does not include the endless hospital appointments, the physio, the occupational therapy, etc. Um, I'm means tested on my husband's wages, which makes me so mad. If I was able to work uh, my job, uh, would not say would not say well. How much does your husband earn? Oh, I get the point you're making, yes. And then we'll decide how much to pay you. In other words, if she went for a job, the employer of her new job wouldn't say, now, how much does your husband earn? Uh, he's earning a good amount of money, so we don't have to pay you quite as much. Do you understand what I'm saying? But that's what the government are basically doing to her. They're saying, it's all right. Your husband has a few quid there. They're not too much, obviously. But that'll be grand. That'll do you. But people don't realise how much it costs when you've got a child with needs or you've got a, a parent that you're looking after or somebody that you're looking after with needs. It costs money. I'm exhausted mentally, physically and emotionally, she says. Yes, absolutely. Of course you are. Of course you're exhausted. Because it's a job. It's a 24-hour carer's job and you should be paid for it. That's the way it is. I know they're your own children and they're, they're your own parents and people say you have a responsibility, duty, etc, etc. Of course you do. Uh, but you should be paid. You, you need to be paid because you're not able to work and you have to get money from somewhere and all your family budget can't go towards it. You can't just do that. The state has a duty and responsibility because if you weren't doing it, the state has to pick up the tab anyway. So you're saving the government money. Look, thank you to everybody who got involved. All your comments, some wonderful, wonderful comments, by the way, about Jerry, about Sinead, about Joe, and about Tina, of course, at the start of the show as well. Wonderful comments. Real people, real opinions, real talk radio. The multi-award-winning Niall Boylan Show. Classic